Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories, to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit portraitsofhonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. In this episode, we hear moving tales from Private First Class Irving Abramson, a Battle of the Bulge survivor from the 5th Army's 100th Combat Infantry, as he shares his story of survival from a deadly foxhole ambush and a serendipitous encounter with a legendary Hollywood star on an army train while recovering from traumatic injury. We explore the human spirit's resilience in the face of war. This interview was recorded on October 28, 2022 in Chicago, Illinois. First of all, what's your full name? Irving M. Abramson is my full name. And what's your birth date? I am, I was born on January 10th, 1926. Okay. And where were you born? In Chicago. Uh, I had, uh, my mother and father were um, not brand new citizens, but uh, recent citizens. Uh, my mother came from Russia. My father came from a country called Lithuania, and uh, they established themselves in Chicago. My father had a little business, and uh, when they uh, felt assured enough, they had a little baby boy. But it turned out to be me. <laughs> Did you have any brothers or sisters? I have had a sister um, who was six years younger, and unfortunately, she passed away several years ago. She grew up in Chicago, stayed here, I, I guess, all the way until you were grown and yeah. went to, into the service, right? Uh, pretty much so. I was born in an er area uh, near uh, the Humboldt Park area, um, which is fairly well known in Chicago. And uh, we uh, moved um, to the north side of Chicago, uh, where my uh, parents had a um, small delicatessen restaurant uh, where I spent my teenage years and uh, they spent time making a living. I guess they worked pretty hard. They worked very hard. They worked, uh, the business was open actually some 18 hours a day and uh, they were manned 
by my mother and father with my sister and I working part-time when we weren't in school. And uh, they managed to, my parents managed to cover one another and give each other a, a nap during the day to uh, survive the hours that they had to be on duty. Wow. But it was a tough life and uh, they worked very hard. I uh, had a good work ethic from them, but I was very sorry that they had to knock themselves out trying to scrape up a living. Did you enlist? Yes, I... Uh, did you... I, I went... Uh, I, first of all, I went to grammar school in the Hubble Park area. Uh, it was called a Chase Public School. And uh, from there, uh, uh, I uh, went to uh, Lane Technical High School, spent four years there, uh, which was uh, great. It was one of the finest schools in Chicago, I believe. And uh, I had my eyes set on, my head set on being an engineer. And uh, on graduation from high school, I enrolled at uh, Illinois Institute of Technology, IIT, and uh, spent a couple terms there. And while there, uh, the war the war had started in Europe, and uh, uh, the U.S. was uh, getting close to getting involved. And what they did was send a couple officials from uh, Department of Defense out to some of the engineering schools uh, and they'd have an assembly and the um, officials would offer the students the uh, uh, deal of uh, enlisting in uh, the military uh, with uh, uh, the promise of uh, paying for their college education upon having served a minimum of three years or so. So um, most of us were pretty poor at that time. I know uh, I was, and uh, some of my school buddies were the same. We didn't know where our next term tuition was going to come from. So it sounded like a pretty good deal. Our parents didn't think so. Our parents didn't want us to enlist. But uh, after a few days of salesmanship, we all... Uh, convinced them that this was the way to go to get an education eventually and they had to sign a release and I entered the military at uh, the age of 17 and uh, uh, Uncle Sam did in fact send me and uh, a number of my buddies to the University of Wisconsin in Madison uh, for a couple of terms in an Army engineering school they had. The program was called ASTP, Army Specialized Training Program. And uh, uh, it sounded like a great deal, and we were all happy to be in it, except for the fact that in a short time, uh, the government disbanded the program because they uh, didn't need uh, engineers as bad as they needed uh, soldiers so the program was disbanded and we all were sent to various uh, 
um, uh, forts and camps across the nation to uh, get assigned to military organizations, which eventually, after basic training, I was assigned to the 100th. What unit did you serve with? Uh, I was in the uh, Fifth Army and uh, in a uh, unit uh, of the 100th Combat Infantry Division. It was uh, fondly called the Century Division. Uh, I went to uh, basic training in uh, Camp Wheeler, Georgia, uh, which originally was a uh, training center for uh, um, uh, the paratroopers. And uh, they had a very tall three-story wooden tower that the guys were jump practice jumping out of. And uh, it was, uh, they had platform, platforms at the uh, uh, lower, lower story, middle story, and high story. And I made it to the lower story, but I couldn't go any higher. So they threw me out of the paratroopers. And uh, I uh, was assigned to an infantry unit. And on uh, the occasion of finishing basic training, I uh, went to uh, uh, Fort Bragg, Carolina, and uh, was assigned to the 100th Combat Infantry at that time. Trained with them um, for something like three or four months in uh, combat training. And uh, from there, we went overseas. We crossed the Atlantic, zigzagged across the Atlantic, trying to avoid the German U-boats, and uh, uh, which uh, unfortunately sank a number of uh, U.S. Uh, ships. But we were lucky enough to get uh, to Europe about uh, uh, six or eight weeks after D-Day. And we landed in Marseille, France, where um, uh, the U.S. already had established a foothold. Okay. And from Marseille, uh, we went, we marched, we rode half-tracks, jeeps, crawled and fought our way some 900 miles up to uh, Belgium. And uh, in December of uh, 1944, we found ourselves in the uh, Ardennes Forest in Belgium. And on December, there's some question about what, what exact day the Battle of the Bulge started. Some say December 16th, some say the 17th. I think it actually started on the 16th and went through uh, the 17th and beyond on the 17th, December 17th, 1944. I uh, was in a uh, very shallow foxhole with uh, two of my uh, buddies and uh, uh, we were, it was very small foxhole and the three of us had to lay 
on our sides to fit. And I was uh, sort of the sandwich. I had a buddy in front of me, buddy in back of me. And the three of us were in that uh, little foxhole during a German artillery attack, uh, which had started on the 16th, and I believe was the official day of the uh, Battle of the Bulge starting. Uh, the uh, artillery attack lasted for hours and uh, started at dusk and lasted for hours. And I don't remember much after that. I thought I had fallen asleep. But uh, the next thing I knew, I opened my eyes and it was daylight. And there were first aid men standing above uh, the foxhole. And uh, they asked they asked me to uh, if I would want to get pulled out of the hole. I said, yeah. And I put my arm up for them to pull me up. And uh, at that point, I passed out. And I was uh, unconscious for the next three days. Uh, from that point, uh, they brought me to a MASH hospital, um, which was uh, interesting. And it was very much like the TV program MASH, which was an excellent representation and even though it was presented as a comedy on TV, it was a very serious hospital where they saved the lives of the wounded soldiers as they did for me. Um, while in the uh, Foxhole, uh, the German artillery was sending um, artillery shells into a densely wooded area, which we were. That was called the Ardennes Forest, and uh, the shells would hit the trees and explode and shower uh, all of the guys below with this white hot shrapnel. Uh, I didn't know it till later, of course, but I had uh, both bones in my lower left leg broken. My knee was smashed. Uh, and I had four ribs broken, and my left lung was punctured, and I had uh, burns from the white hot shrapnel up and down my body. I had been laying on my right side, and it was my left side that had been exposed to the um, artillery shells. So uh, uh, how I survived that was by the grace of God and some great doctors at the uh, MASH hospital. What about and, the other two guys in the foxhole? Well, when they uh, brought me to the MASH hospital, um, I, uh, when I came to, uh, I asked if my buddies were there, and they said they haven't made it. Sorry about that. Um, they did not survive that, that uh, artillery attack. I sort of uh, have felt some kind of guilt all of my life because of the sandwich that they made of me. And 
It was only because of that that I guess I survived. Hmm. Um, how I didn't bleed out that night is a miracle. Oh, with all of the injuries I had. Probably. And uh, it was the cold weather. It was the coldest. Excuse me. It was the coldest weather that Europe had seen in decades. And um, uh, because of the sub-zero temps, I think the blood congealed and kept me from uh, bleeding out. So I... Uh, I think so was in the MASH hospital for some week, 10 days while they did some uh, first aid patch up and life-saving procedures that I needed. And from there, I was sent back to a, a very large general hospital in Dijon, France. And in Dijon, France, I had some uh, five or six major surgeries to uh, repair all of the damage that I had uh, from the shell uh, explosions. Um, I, all of my life, I still wound up with problems from those injuries, um, among which was uh, a hearing problem. And uh, I have a slight tremor which was caused by uh, a concussion of the uh, artillery that uh, we um, experienced. Um, I um, was in the large uh, hospital in Dijon for several months. Uh, and from there, uh, when they finally had done all the repairs that could be done, I was sent to another uh, rest and recuperative hospital in De Marseille, France, where I started the adventure. And I uh, was there for a couple weeks. And uh, uh, from there, uh, after recovering uh, some of my strength and uh, a body weight, I had lost some 25 or 30 pounds during the experience. And uh, they finally came one day and said, soldier, you're going home, but we have to transfer you to, from Marseille to Paris, where we're flying the guys home. And uh, said, sounds good to me. And they loaded, uh, I was a stretcher uh, case at that time as so many of my buddies were. I was in a cast uh, from uh, on my left side from my foot up to my groin and of course immobile. Uh, uh, they outfitted some of the trains uh, that uh, the French, uh, yeah, that the French were using. And they pulled all the seats out and they put uh, horizontal uh, 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 braces into the side of the car and they'd load the uh, stretcher right on these braces and uh, we were like two or three high in um, in stretchers uh, and that's how we traveled to uh, uh, Paris 
for our return trip. I had an interesting experience on that trip. Um, uh, the train started out uh, around dusk and uh, sometime around midnight. I had uh, tremendous pain in the leg that was casted and one of the first aid guys on the train came by, checked it out, said, well, your foot had uh, swollen up and the cast is cutting into your foot. I'm gonna go get a, uh, a knife to cut your cast uh, and give you some relief and I'll have a first aid person stay with you. And he called over to some uh, young lady and she came over and put her arm around me and and talked to me and asked me all kinds of questions about home, my family, anything to keep my mind off of what was going on. Very sweet lady. And finally, the first aid guy came back. He, in fact, cut the cast open. It was around my foot and relieved the pressure and that relieved the pain. Uh, the young lady put her arm around me and gave me a kiss and said, I'll see you later. And she walked off. And the first aid guy says, do you know who that was? I said, I have the slightest idea. He said, you just made out with Marlene Dietrich. And Marlene Dietrich at that time had gone over to the US uh, and was uh, doing uh, volunteer work really? with the uh, troops. I have some paperwork to in the in the uh, in my uh, life history that shows her uh, her experience, the German government disowned her as a citizen, and it was only until years later, on her 100th uh, birthday, that they reinstated her as a German citizen again. Wow! So it was quite an interesting experience. <laughs> So that was... You got a hug and kiss from Orlene Dietrich. Yeah. Yeah, I always threw that up to my wife. I could have had Marlene. <laughs> uh, anyway, the trip otherwise was successful. We landed in New York, in uh, Paris. And uh, from Paris, we flew to New York. At that time, there were still no jet planes gone. And this was more prop ships and they couldn't make it all the way to uh, New York from uh, Paris. So we stopped over at, uh, I think it was Iceland, and uh, stopped over and uh, it was the, uh, they asked us what we wanted. And I was given a glass of milk, which was better than champagne. I hadn't had a glass of milk for, uh, since I was in training at, uh, Camp Wheeler. Uh, from we we lo landed in New York, and we was, we were taken to a, uh, um, a a large hall of some kind. I don't remember if it was a gymnasium in a school or some other type of uh, uh, gathering place. But anyway, they unloaded us there, interviewed us and wanted to know where our homes were so that they could send us uh, close to our home and families. 
And of course, I told them I was from Chicago. And they said, great, we got a lot of places there. And uh, the, uh, it was the same day. Uh, I was, we landed early in the morning, and by evening we were on a train going to where we were assigned. Uh, and it was an overnight trip. And in the morning, uh, as the train pulled into the station, I raised the curtain on the train window and saw the sign of where we were pulling in, and it was Topeka, Kansas. Not too close to Chicago. <laughs> no. But that was some of the ways that the U.S. Army worked. In Topeka, Kansas, there was a uh, hospital uh, uh, that was well known. It was the Menninger Clinic. Uh, Dr. Menninger was a psychiatrist and he had uh, this very large psychiatric hospital in uh, that region. And when uh, I had heard about it, I had read about him, and I thought, well, geez, I must be psycho or something that they sent me there. And they said, and when I asked about it, they said, no, Dr. Menninger donated half of this very large hospital to the U.S. to uh, uh, treat uh, Americans, American soldiers coming back from the wars. And they out, the U.S. outfitted that half of hospital. And uh, it was very nice, very well manned and very well appointed. And I spent the rest of my recovery uh, learning to walk and uh, get back to my on my feet again. And from there, eventually I was discharged, given an uh, honorable medical discharge. How long do you think you were at that location recovering? Uh, I would say it was about three or four months. Um, I did have possibly six months. No, it was three or four months. During that period, I had a pass to go home, which I did. Went home for a short visit, went back again for uh, uh, more recuperate uh, stuff. But that was the last official military stop that I had made. Still a pretty long recovery from those injuries. Yeah, it was, it was a total of about a year from the time I was uh, wounded to the time I was given my medical discharge. Yeah. That long uh, journey from basically Marseille to Belgium, um, can you describe some of the, the uh, days for traveling uh, that far? I can say that uh, there were times that we marched, there were times that we were in firefights with uh, the enemy. Uh, there were times we were ahead of the game and loaded in uh, half-track trucks and jeeps and rode part of the way. And uh, I couldn't, I know we passed town after town, but most of the time we were in hilly wooded areas. I wouldn't even know the names of the towns that we passed. 
um, the uh, it it, uh, it amazed me when I found out that we had gone some 900 miles from Marseille uh, to uh, the point in Belgium where I was wounded. But uh, we were moving all the time and uh, fighting half of the time. Did, were you like a, <clears throat> just a general infantry or did you uh, carry a machine gun or mortars or um, BAR? Strang strangely enough in training back at uh, at camp when I was training with the 100th, um, they uh, had a not too friendly a sergeant, and I don't think he liked me too much. And I was the smallest guy in the uh, platoon, and we had one large gun called a BAR. Uh, it was a um, very oversized rifle and when used, it had to be used with a tripod uh, to balance the gun on. And, uh, but it was only one guy that carried that, and he gave me the job of carrying it. And- oh, uh, really? The smallest guy? Smallest guy. That's uh, That was, I think, with some intent. Um, the, uh, uh, I had experienced some uh, anti-Semitism uh, in service, and I think that was one of the uh, instances where I really? felt that uh, even in the was, units, yes, hmm. unfortunately. But uh, uh, that uh, when uh, uh, we were assigned, given our assignment to go overseas, um, the uh, I was handed a. M1 Garand rifle, which was the standard for the riflemen, and I, that was my weapon uh, from that point on, and uh, I uh, carried that and used that weapon for the rest of my military career. Um, there were some instances that uh, were interesting but i don't know if we want to go into them well leave that up to you uh, no i i just so not okay um but um so i can't say that we did anything beyond what the average american uh, soldier did and that was to fight move forward push the germans back and thank god eventually uh, succeed that uh, the government then followed up and said we promised that we'd pay for your education and now we will and you go ahead and and uh, enroll anywhere you want and we'll take care of the bill uh, unfortunately, uh, by that time, I was pretty well shook up with post-traumatic stress. And while I did uh, enroll, um, uh, I happened to enroll at Loyola University 
and uh, tried to uh, uh, study and concentrate, but it was quite impossible. I couldn't, uh, my head wouldn't handle the volume of uh, learning that uh, was required. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet a wonderful lady that uh, whom I married, and uh, um, I decided that I had to go to work and support our family. And uh, there was no time at all. We had our first child, and I was in the work world. And um, although I did go back and do some uh, night school, uh, once I started getting successful jobs, I quit the night school. And uh, the joke of the family is that grandpa went to five different universities, and never graduated. It's, I don't know if that's something to brag about or not, but uh, I did in fact do that. I uh, started out at IIT uh, before the war. <laughs> it was went to uh, Loyola North as a pre-med, actually, yeah. on the north side. And uh, when I couldn't concentrate on that, I switched to Loyola on their downtown business campus. That was my third school. And uh, uh, then I went from there. The boys were coming home uh, from the service at that time, and Roosevelt College was uh, started. And uh, they'd call me up and say, come on, join the crowd. And uh, so I transferred finally to Roosevelt. So I went to all these colleges, but at that point I had so many different majors. Uh, I had a different major every time I transferred, so nothing uh, added up to a uh, degree. But uh, fortunately, I was uh, successful in business and overcame, overcame the lack of college education. So what business was it that the, you um, ended up with? Uh, the, my uh, in-laws were in the automotive uh, supply business, and uh, they had uh, a new part uh, store uh, where parts and supplies were sold. They also had a uh, salvage yard where they uh, took apart old cars, old wrecks, and, and salvaged the good parts, sold those, and uh, made scrap iron out of the rest. And I spent my 40 years of work world uh, doing that. But uh, thank the Lord it was successful, and uh, eventually my wife and I sold the business, retired, and finally got some pleasure by traveling the world. We did return to uh, Europe, but Normandy and uh, Omaha Beach and some of the other wartime memorable places. Not that they look the same, but um, that was an interesting time. We also traveled to the South Pacific and experienced and saw uh, Pearl Harbor and all of those places. So we were very fortunate in the end to have been successful and being able to afford 
traveling and see the world, seeing the world. What was your favorite place to travel to? Can you pick one? Historically, uh, actually, Israel. I think it's yeah. one of the most uh, history uh, deep places in the world. Uh, there were so many wonderful places. I, Alaska was unbelievable. Hawaii was unbelievable. But, um, and we went to the Orient, to China, Japan. Uh, we saw some fabulous sightseeing. But uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, the historical value, there's nothing like uh, the Holy Lands. And I would recommend anybody, if you're traveling, make sure you get to the Holy Lands sometime, which uh, we did. This podcast is a charitable supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to portraitsofhonor.com. There you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away, and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor and record and memorialize their stories forever. Please go to PortraitsOfHonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode by remembering the past we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor. <laughs>